Stu Does America. I can't even believe this is happening. I really can't. It's, it's, it's a fascinating day, and it's honestly a little bit overwhelming. It broke today in the middle of the radio show, as all these decisions do. We were in the middle of some other nonsensical thing that we had to deal with, and uh, just honestly, I, it was it was it hit me really hard. I I didn't know what I didn't know how it was going to happen. I mean, I, we knew that this draft opinion was out there. We expected that this would happen, but when it actually did, it really did knock me off my feet a little bit. I've told you many times before. Morally, I could justify coming in here every day and just talking about abortion. Uh, it would be a terrible show, an awful show. It would get the worst ratings in the world. Everyone would be sick of it almost immediately. But it would be morally justified because it is such an important issue. Over 65 million children should have been born, should be alive today, but aren't because of this terrible decision made with no legal basis 50 years ago. Over the world, by the way, we're talking about a billion people billion people we've lost to this. It's it's inhuman. And much of the world is going in the opposite direction and opening up laws. Now, we've talked about this before. America has has laws that are much more liberal up until today than most of Europe. I mean, you know, the, the, the average country in Europe has more conservative abortion laws than did Utah up until today. And that is all changing now, thanks to the Supreme Court. Of course, thanks should go to people like President Trump, who named three conservative justices uh, to the Supreme Court who all voted the correct way today. Incredibly important. Mitch McConnell gets a lot of bashing from our audience. He's a Republican, but uh, not always everybody's favorite Republican. He was, you know, held the line with with Merrick Garland, though I don't think he would have been approved anyway. I think somewhat at some level, it gets a little bit overblown, but that's part of it as well. Harry Reid, uh, I like to make fun of him for this, but you know, he's the guy who made it only 50 votes for a Supreme Court justice and probably contributed to this process as well. But all that being said, it's an incredibly important day. It's step one on a long, long journey, I think, to to change the way people think about this. People will still be able to get abortions here in this country. People will be getting mailed pills mailed to them uh, from India for the next, uh, you know, many, many years to come, I'm sure. But hopefully in the long term, we can see this for what it is, a, a real evil, a real a real failing of our country. Uh, a sad, sad chapter that is up there with things like slavery. It really is. In fact, you're talking about tens of millions of people that should be alive that aren't. It's hard to compare that to really anything. Um, you're, you're approaching the global toll of, uh, I mean, the global toll of co- communism is even less than this, <laughs> which is, they've got, I mean, we're, they're in the nine figures, so it's a pretty high number. Let me give you some of the ruling. I'm not going to spend all tons and tons of time of going through the, the, uh, the specifics today. We will be on radio next week doing a lot of that, and we'll be here as well. And Josh Hammer is about to go through a bunch of it with you as well. But let me give you some of it. Here is the ruling. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful ruling. I, it's the greatest ruling. It's it's, it's the most spectacular ruling you'll ever see in your life. Here is a, a couple of excerpts I wanted to, to kind of uh, highlight here. And um, first of all, I want to talk about the failing of the idea of Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade was, was this bizarre thing. It was basically legislation. It was the court saying, you know, a lot of people disagree on this and we're not sure exactly what to do. So what if we carve out our own idea of what will make everybody happy? 
And we know, obviously, by now that that did not work. And Alito pointed that out. Neither decision, meaning Roe and Casey, has ended debate over the issue of a constitutional right to obtain an abortion. Indeed, this in this case, 26 states expressly ask us to overrule Roe and Casey and to return the issue of abortion to the people and their elected representatives. This court's inability to end debate on the issue should not have been surprising. This court cannot bring about the permanent resolution of a rancorous national controversy simply by dictating a settlement and telling the people to move on. Yeah, it's exactly right. There was never hope for a solution like this. And in fact, it's made it worse. You know, some people argue on the left, we don't like Roe versus Wade. One of the reasons was because a third of the states were moving towards liberalizing their abortion laws. And then we cut off that process. It's actually talked about by Alito in the ruling as well. In some ways, you could have argued that doing it by legislation, it may have actually happened. I would have fought against it. You probably would have fought against it. But it may have happened another way. Artificially pushing it through the courts is not the way to do these things. We do not pretend this is really important, by the way, and I want this is maybe the most important paragraph in this entire thing, because, yes, abortion uh, and Roe versus Wade being overturned. Abortion can be sent back to the states. All that's vitally important. But just from the function of the court itself, this paragraph is crucial. We do not pretend to know how our political system or society will respond to today's decision overruling Roe Roe and Casey. And even if we could foresee what will happen. We would have no authority to let that knowledge influence our decision. Amen. We can only do our job, which is to interpret the law, apply longstanding principles of stare decisis, and decide this case accordingly. The Supreme Court's job is not to decide whether a law or a rule or a constitutional principle will make everybody happy or not, whether people will protest it or not, whether it will be a good thing or not. That was a a lot of the focus we talked about yesterday in the Second Amendment case. Breyer made this big show of all these terrible gun crimes that have happened and all these gun statistics, and Alito just lit him up and said, hey, what does this have to do with anything? It's not our job to sit here and and talk about the effects on the country. It is our job to say what the law says, what the Constitution says, what is allowed, what is uh, what is constrained by our role in this process. We have a system of government and it's important to stick by it. We therefore hold that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Thank God I can read that sentence. Roe and Casey must be overruled and the authority to regulate abortion must be returned to the people and their elected representatives. Now, the correct way to look at this ruling is not that it's some extremist decision for the pro-life cause. It has essentially moved this entire issue back to the middle ground where people can decide. It's like you know, gambling, right? States can decide what they want to do with it. That is not the way I think this should end. I don't think it should be allowed. You should not be allowed to end children's lives. That I feel like we should be able to unite on and we're not there yet. But I, I do really believe that we will be one day. This is just the first step in that process. And I hope we get there sooner rather than later. This is a great day for conservatism, for the Constitution, for all the people who fought and stood outside of abortion clinics for hours and hours and hours. And, and, and many of those hours must have been hopeless. But we show today that hope 
is alive. And hopefully, many millions of children will follow. You know, I want to, sometimes we get into this thing where we could take the craziest person from the internet and make them the face of the other side, and that's not fair. So I want to start with the most sensible argument I have heard from the left. This is uh, someone on YouTube, and I think makes probably the most coherent argument against the ruling from Friday. to the view which one is smarter I, I gotta say she I think nailed it uh, there I, I don't think it was much different than all the people we just heard from uh, from all of the concerts all around America or what we heard honestly from Lori Lightfoot who's supposed to be a politician with understanding of these issues instead she's doing this now we know what happened with the Supreme Court yesterday if you read Clarence Thomas concurrence he said thank you Clarence Thomas Thomas. There you go, F. Clarence Thomas. I have a, the, the meltdown from the left is always fun to watch in moments like this. I have a special warm feeling in the pit of my heart uh, for the women who walk around and write pro-abortion messages on their pregnant bellies. I feel like that is something. This one says, my daughter deserves a choice. And see, that's brave because your kid's inside of there and someday they'll get out to uh, and be able to, you know, abort your grandchild, which will be fantastic. I'm sure you'll cheer it on at the time. This one is not yet a human from a woman who seems to be 118 months pregnant. Uh, that, that, if that's not a human, it might not be a human. It might be a giant watermelon. I don't know. But that lady is really freaking pregnant. And uh, if that, if you could abort that that kid, I mean, I think the kid she's holding in her arm might be younger. Woman's very pregnant is, I guess, my main point. Uh, the the uh, people around the corporate world are also responding to this, and many U.S. companies are now moving to pay travel costs for employees seeking abortions. The tech firms and banks, including Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase, they're all adding a critical healthcare package. And it's interesting that these financial firms are the ones leading this, because when you stop and you think about it for a moment, what's our reaction to this as conservatives? We, we say, oh, this is wokeism in action. I mean, they're all left-wing companies, and they're pushing for this woke nonsense. They want to pay for abortions and abortion travel. And there's definitely something to that, right? Like, that's real. That's part of this. But allow me to ask you to consider another additional option. You see here, if you're a company, put yourself in the position of a company. Which one would you rather have? Would you rather pay $4,000 to give an employee a couple days off to have their abortion? Or would you rather cheer on that mom bringing the kid to term so you can pay for them to be off for three consecutive months? And then... In addition to all that, you give them months and months off. You have to figure out how to replace the person. You have to pay for an additional employee, most likely. 
to cover them being gone and out of work. And then in addition to that, that mom most likely will have a shift in priorities from you being the focus of their lives to their child being the focus of their lives. It's almost like there's a cynical monetary motivation here by these companies to pay for these kids to be offed. I know it's a crazy, crazy idea and probably uh, only 100% true. Elizabeth Warren is trying to get herself back into your face. Now, she is seeing the writing on the wall a little bit here. She's realizing she was kind of competitive in, la- in probably, what, third place in last, uh, the last primary. Joe Biden is obviously 165 years old. And somehow, the person who finished in second is even older. So her relatively spry late 60s, early 70s is incredibly uh, attractive to, I guess, left-wing voters right now, and she wants to come out. And look, they're just starting to say the quiet part out loud. Here she is with her solution to not getting what she wants at the Supreme Court. This court has lost legitimacy. They have burned whatever legitimacy they may still have had after their gun decision, after their voting decision, after their union decision. They just took the last of it and set a torch to it with the Roe versus Wade opinion. I believe we need to get some confidence back in our court, and that means we need more justices on the United States Supreme Court. <laughs> we need more more confidence, so we're just going to flood the court with justices so we get the rulings we want. That won't make it look political at all. The brilliance of Elizabeth Warren. Now, Biden supposedly still does not support court packing, and the reporting is that the White House has confirmed this, but we must acknowledge that this confirmation came from Corinne Jean-Pierre, so unless she was reading it, there's no reason to believe it. We have to wait and see like how this, you know, how this shakes itself out over the next uh, few weeks to know if we were supposed to believe that or not. Um, it was amazing to see the way the media covered this because you have this, uh, and this happens all the time, right? You have to come up with some way to tell these stories. And of course, the, the way that the left sees a story like this is to... Uh, in any very sympathetic way. They see the pain of the abortion providers as this terrible, terrible thing that should not be, you know, not be happening. And they don't see the pain of the, the potential life that has been ended when an abortion occurs. Um, and, and this is part of the problem with this. Every single news organization just sent their people to closing abortion clinics to, to uh, interview everyone. Not exactly a both sides situation being presented there. Some attempted it uh, poorly, in my opinion. The problem, of course, with all of the kids that were aborted is they're not alive. So it's really hard to interview them. There's never really the interview never happens, which is just a small part of the problem with that wonderful procedure. But I noticed that everyone's kind of had the same idea. ABC News decided to do this. They went to abortion clinics and I was just struck by the tone of all of this reporting. Here they are at an abortion clinic uh, trying to uh, understand how it feels to be in an abortion clinic that may have to close because of the, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. No one ever expects to be here or that they're gonna need our care. Most of them are, are just young people that are just trying to go to school and live their lives and take care of their kids. Now, I don't know if taking care of the kids is the exact terminology you want to utilize here when, 
I mean, I guess in, in like the mobster sort of way, they're taking care of their kids. But I don't think that's exactly what you're going for normally here. Um, they also, I, I was just struck by how much emotion the news was able to put into this story, not from the children who will no, never have a chance at life, but to the people who are, have, who are conducting the procedures to end such life. Listen. Some of them, there were patients who were mad. There were patients who cried. There were patients who said, I'm so sorry for you all. For you guys. For us. They said, I'm so sorry you can't be there. I mean, it, that's very emotional. Uh, sure, I'm so sorry you can't be there to perform all those abortions on 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 these children. I just, what, what a, it must be gut-wrenching for you to maybe these kids might live. It's the worst possible idea. The New York Times did the exact same story. They went to a bunch of abortion clinics, talked to workers there, and they found themselves so overwhelmed by emotion that they were not able to carry out these abortions, which we were used to be told were safe, legal, and rare. And we thought Joe Biden told us Every one of them was a tragedy back in 2006. Now we're totally on the, now we're in shout your abortion land. Now we're in, if we can't get the abortion done, we feel like this. I know, also had to go find a ladies room or a private office for a few minutes to regroup and recover. So some people from the staff were going to the bathroom to have to, you know, compose themselves as well. To the bathroom, to the back of the building where there were no patients to have a good cry. Um, it, it was this absolute horrendous dread. Absolute horrendous dread at the idea that a child might live? Again, there was messaging back in the day that was pretty effective for the left. Safe, legal, rare, everyone's a tragedy. It was essentially a necessary evil, right? That's changed. Now it's shout your abortion. Now it's celebrate your abortion. And honestly, I don't know if Roe versus Wade would have been overturned if the left was messaging this still as safe, legal, and rare, a tragedy that it was unavoidable. Instead, we're in this let's write, uh, we want more abortions on our pregnant belly land. And that land is a land that the American people do not want any part of. They don't want any part of that. Um, more from the New York Times, again, talking to someone at uh, an abortion clinic that may, sadly, you may be sad to hear, will, may have to close very soon. Some women were just sitting there looking so horribly de dejected. I'm sorry. The emotion is amazing. Anyway, you know, it was some were angry, some were upset. And what was in your mind at the time? <gasps> and what was in your mind at the time? This isn't right. Mm. That no one should do this to these women. It's wrong. It's wrong. How can, how can anyone call themselves human and put these ladies through what they're going through now? How can anyone call themselves human? You know, the left has a real struggle figuring out what is human and what isn't. I don't know. How can they call themselves human for letting humans be born? I don't know. It's a real challenge. Real, real challenge. Uh, I mean, this one, I, it's the same stuff, but I have to play this one for you. This is uh, an absolute, 
Just catch the, the, the wording at the end of this particular clip. I didn't want the patients to see me that way. You know, I'm supposed to be the strong one. I'm supposed to be a leader. And I just needed a moment because I really, really wanted to be there for the patients. You know, we've, we've had so many struggles before trying to keep the clinic going with, you know, all that we have faced here in Louisiana. Mm. And so, you know, this is the, the worst possible thing that could happen. The worst possible thing. Not just for the clinic, but for these women. But at the same time, I don't know. I just felt like they needed somebody that wasn't all, all in pieces. Now, I will agree that avoiding people in pieces is the focus of this important story. But I don't think we see it the same way. I don't think we see any of this stuff the same way. I don't think we see America the same way. You know, we started with Billy... Joe or whatever his name is from Green Day saying F America and F this country and they're so effing stupid and like it's easy to dismiss that as some celebrity moron just running his mouth and of course that's true but the difference between that celebrity moron and everybody in the media and everybody that is a politician on the left the difference between those two is he's just saying the truth out loud the truth that they actually believe. The same attitude applies to the media. The same attitude applies to politicians. You can see how much they hate your guts in this coverage. Your viewpoint of simply wanting children to live is vilified as if it's this fascist uh, trip to the handmaid's tale. I can understand there being arguments about these things. They can be dicey, tough issues at times. And you could see disagreement with the other side on this stuff, and maybe you'd even be able to see some of their points. But how can you, how can you not see the side that conservatives are presenting here? What we are asking for is children to be born, children to live of all different races, colors, creeds, all of it. Some will be gay, some will be straight, some will probably wind up being transgendered, and you're arguing to end all of their lives before they do anything. How can that possibly be the right argument? There's an op-ed in the New York Times today called America the Merciless. I want to read to you the beginning of this, because this is really how they see this country. Uh, As the 4th of July looms, I find myself mulling over the idea of American exceptionalism. What, if anything, makes this country different from other countries or from the rest of the developed world in terms of morals or ideals? In what ways do our distinct values inform how America treats our own citizens? I land on a distinct absence of mercy. Witness the ruthless evisceration of Roe versus Wade. I can't help but see a particular American bent toward cruelty. Cruelty? Lack of mercy? We're defining mercy as the side of the argument that wants children to not be born? That's mercy? How is this possible? Look, the truth is we are living in bizarro world. How is the empathetic side of the argument the one that wants to end all of the lives? How is it merciful to constitutionally guarantee that one person can stop the beating heart of another?
How can the side begging for millions of African-Americans to be born be the racist side? When we're talking about infants, how can we not err on the side of life? And how can we have a constitution that somehow allows for speech like this? So happy to welcome Mississippi State Representative Becky Curry back on the program. She's the author of a pivotal 2018 abortion bill in her state. And you may have heard a little news update about that particular bill today in the news. Representative, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm very excited today. Yeah, it's a huge day. First of all, just what is your reaction? What are you feeling today? You know, I've been trying to prepare for this, especially since the leak. And, you know, it's still just been an overwhelming day, and I'm very happy, and I look forward to the future, and, uh, you know, it's just um, surreal. Mm. Take us back to 2018. You authored this bill that made its way up to the Supreme Court and wound up uh, in the case that overturned Roe versus Wade, as we saw today. Take us back to your thought process as you put it together. Well, um, I'm a registered nurse, and I've been practicing medicine since 1979. And about 1983, I was working in labor and delivery and delivered about a 15-week fetus little girl that struggled to live. And heartbeat for a long, long time. Uh, I sat with her, prayed with her, you know, and it was it just something that stuck with me for a long time. In 2016, we wrote a 19-week bill. And when we decided to take on another bill, I said, I want to do a 15-week bill. Um, you know, a little pay a little homage to this baby that has kind of stuck with me over the years. And we did this bill, and it passed, was signed by the governor. Um, it immediately was struck down by the courts and, and went about life. And you know, a couple of years later, I hear it's going before the biggest Supreme Court law of the land. And, and uh, you know, it's just been a whirlwind ever since. Did you have any hopes and aspirations that something like this could actually come from the bill when you put it together? Well, it, I knew that that bill was uh, anointed. I have to be honest with you. It was just something that I felt to my core. I knew it was a good bill. Uh, we did several bills even after this bill. Um, and I always said I, I hated to do them because I knew that this if there was a bill that ever would go all the way, it was going to be this bill. And uh, so uh, I have I have felt this way that it was going to pass. I, I know it may sound strange, but I always felt deep down it was going to the court. And this day was coming. Mm. Um, don't ask me how. <laughs> it's really incredible. I think so many people see, I mean, you're seeing all you know the protests and everything. And one of the big pieces of rhetoric that constantly flies out of these things is that I don't want all these men telling me what I can do with my body and and and, and re restricting my rights. And it's I think people would be surprised to know that not only is this bill written by a woman, but a woman who was inspired to write it by the birth of a little girl. And uh, who was a single mother most of my life. 
you know, I know how hard it is to raise children by yourself. I know how it can, uh, you know, be extraordinarily financially taxing and, uh, you know, not just financially, just mentally, it's exhausting. I know all those things. There's nobody that, that knows that better, but I never saw it as a, as a good enough reason to, to kill a child. And I have to tell you, you know, it hurts my heart to see people so angry about you know, not being able to kill a baby. And we just want things so convenient that if you're pregnant, that you would just end a pregnancy uh, just so simply and, and, and just angry about, you know, not taking the responsibility of raising a child. I think is one of the most perplexing parts of this, because as you point out, I mean, some of these stories that individual women have gone through, you can understand how uh, things can be very tough and challenging through situations like this. But the the unabated passion that I see from so many on the left who who seem to, uh, to to have the the opportunity to end a child's life be their reason for being this incredible uh, guttural desire to have this right to make sure that children aren't born is such a it's something I don't think I can ever understand. Do you have any any way to put this together? Well, it doesn't compute with me either, and it never did. And just the fact that we, you know, have allowed these folks to to do this for 50 years, you know, there was no constitutional right. And, you know, we had a president who was able to put three Supreme Court justices on the court and who, uh, at the time, uh, this bill was there. You know, I believe that this bill was in God's hands since the very beginning, and he put this all together because there's no real explanation of how this literally came to be with all the pieces that that fell into place correctly. So what happens, uh, Representative, with Mississippi now? Does do I mean, I, I know there's a bunch of states that have trigger laws. Do you guys have that? It, it, will it go to the 15 week rule right away? How does all of this work? We actually have a trigger bill that ca- I came into office in 2008 and 2007. There was a trigger law that said if Roe v. Wade was ever overturned, that abortion will be illegal in the state immediately. So, you know, now I think my job as a woman who as a woman who uh, was a single mother and, you know, had a child that I raised by myself. Uh, I think it's my responsibility now. Um, I'm in my last year of this term. I'm going to run for re-election because we've got to do things better in Mississippi. We've got to make sure that people have places to go for health care. We can't say to women, okay, we took this right away from you. Good luck. We've got to be there to support them. And, and not just government. Our churches have got to step up to the plate. We've got to be there for women. So I feel like my job just really started. We've got to make sure that our our county health departments are open, that people have access to birth control, that we uh, take care of pregnant women and children. Our foster care system is a mess. Our uh, child services are a mess. Our 
Collecting child support from deadbeat dads is a mess. So believe me when I tell you I have my job cut out for me here. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of work to do. That's something I've come back to several times thinking about this. There's been this focus on the legal process for such a long time of Roe versus Wade and and overturning that in Casey. And in in reality, like, as we kind of all know, other states are going to make it very easy for women to have abortion, to travel there, for this to occur. And it strikes me as the real long term project here is one of of trying to win people over and changing people's hearts and minds. Eventually, the only way this is really going to go away is to persuade people and have people be affected the kind of the way that you were when when you looked at that 15 week old baby. That's right. And, you know, and and is it ever convenient to have a baby? I'm not sure that it is, <laughs> yeah. but it's well worth it. And, you know, we we want to be there to support people, and we do need to change minds. And I know this may be a very simple uh, explanation, but I remember, I'm old enough to remember that I was really mad about having to wear a seatbelt. And back when I was young, smoking was cool. And we actually did change the minds of people. You get in the car and you put your seatbelt on. You don't smoke cigarettes, you know. So you can change people's minds, but you have got to be there to support them. And like I said, we have a lot of work to do. And and my intention is to make sure that work gets done. Mm. Uh, Representative, one more for you. Uh, Have you... Have you stopped and thought about your position in history here? I mean, this is uh, the, the type of day that could change the lives of millions and millions of people that, you know, people that would not live, may live now because of the work you've done and, you know, so many others in the pro-life movement. But really, you're a central figure here. Have you stopped to consider that? It's been uh, hard. Uh, I, I, I don't want to call myself humble, but it's been hard to imagine. But I I got a letter from a lady in Texas that when the heartbeat law uh, became into effect there, she thanked me for starting this. And she said, because I could not get abortion in Texas, I've kept my baby. And I'm so glad I did. And, you know, I would love to get some more letters like that because that one made my day. And and hopefully millions of other babies will live because I filed this law in Mississippi. Mm. Representative Becky Curry from Mississippi. She wrote the law that led to the Supreme Court decision today overturning Roe versus Wade. What a historic day and a central figure in the middle of that history. Thank you so much for the work you've done. And I, I can't stress to you how incredible uh, it is to see to see this happen today. I, I really am blown away. I never thought I'd see the day. I didn't think we would see the day either. But thank you so much. Thank you. There's a world after Roe. And I'm not talking necessarily about Gilead. Yes, the handmaid's tale is here under his eye, under his eye. I don't think that this is uh, what the left actually believes. They don't believe it's really going to turn into The Handmaid's Tale, but they'll say it over and over and over again to try to get as many dumb people in their fishnet as possible. But there is something that we, as conservatives maybe, as pro-life people, if you happen to be in that group, we do need to think about. And it is important to consider that Overturning Roe versus Wade, while a 50-year project for the conservative legal movement and for conservative activists and all of us pro-life types, 
that was a 50-year activity. And to get to the end of that is something really meaningful. I don't want to downplay it. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, I mean, I'll go to studosmerch.com. You can get the 624-22 shirt. You know, I mean, we, we, put a sh- we made a shirt with just the date on it so that people would know uh, that uh, and we're trying to remember that this date actually occurred. I, everyone's going to try to make you remember January 6th. Let's, how about 6-24-22? It's a pretty big day in our history, and I don't want to downplay it. But I also want to keep exactly clear as, w- as to where we are on this journey. It's not the end. If you care about life, if you care about babies being born, you know that this is not the end of the road. Overturning Roe versus Wade is not the end. There's a much bigger battle to come. This is just this is honestly just the step that allows that intellectual battle of ideas to occur. Before this, we couldn't even really engage in it fully because it was automatically guaranteed that we would lose. Well, now we're at least at that point where we can make the arguments and try to persuade people to our side of the argument. And that's, I think, all conservatives wanted. They wanted a fair chance, not a rigged game uh, by the Supreme Court. And now we're back to what, frankly, is should be considered the moderate position on abortion, right? Like, back in the day, we were on the far left wing position on abortion. Yes, there was a lot of people who opposed it, but it was constitutionally guaranteed, at least by Roe versus Wade and Casey. Now that that's overturned, we're back to a place where people can make arguments and people can pass legislation and it can be uh, by the states can step up and do their part, which is what the Constitution demands of them. Ross Douthat uh, wrote a, a, a piece saying the end of the row is just the beginning, and he talks about how this is not the end of the story, quote, but the story doesn't end here. While the pro-life movement has won the right to legislate against abortion, it has not yet proven that it can do so in a way that will command durable majority support. Its weaknesses will not disappear in victory. Its foes and critics have been radicalized by its judicial success. Part of the bizarre uh, period of the past 50 years has been the left really never needing to make their argument in a convincing way. The left never needed to convince anybody that abortion was the right thing because the court told everyone they had to do it anyway. So it didn't really matter, frankly. That debate, of course, raged on you know, in intellectual publications and on talk radio and on left-wing newsletters, but it really never made a lot of difference. Yes, you could regulate it here and there as Roe and Casey allowed, but there was never a real talk about whether it was the right thing to do or not, whether it could be banned or not. It all had to come with the first step of overturning Roe versus Wade, and that is not just a small first step. To win the long-term battle, Ross Douthat writes, to persuade the country's vast disquieted middle, abortion opponents need to show how abortion restrictions are compatible with the goods that abortion advocates accuse them of compromising the health of the poorest women, the flourishing of their children, the dignity of motherhood, even when it comes unexpectedly or amid great difficulty. We talked to the author of the bill that from Mississippi that wound up rising up to the Supreme Court and led to this momentous decision. And that was the first thing she talked about was, hey, now that we got this thing overturned, we need to be able to step up and support Uh, women who go through this to make sure that this is not the worst part of their life. And in fact, it turns into the best part of their life. One they look back onto and say, 
Thank God I didn't go through with that procedure I was considering. That's an important part of this. It doesn't all happen to have, happen to uh, come from the government, as many will tell you. A lot of this will come from churches and other support organizations, but that's up to us to make sure those organizations exist and help people who are going through this. Again, this is about persuasion. If we sit here and we say, hey, everybody needs to go down this road and uh, good luck with whatever the consequences are, we may even maintain some of the legal basis for uh, the potential to get rid of abortions, but man, people will travel. They'll order their pills in the mail. They'll get around it any way possible. The only way to really stop this is to persuade people. You know, I, keep, I come back to the, uh, the example of slavery a lot because I believe these type of things are on the same plane, frankly, and I think hopefully at some point in the future they will be looked at that way. Right now they're not. About half the country thinks it's really bad, and about half the country thinks it's either a necessary evil or it's wonderful. It's like going to Disneyland. And it's important to look at slavery. There were a lot of people opposed to slavery back in the day. There were a lot of people who supported it. And over time, we had a, a war, and we had amendments, and we had legal action, and we had decision after decision after si decision. And we're at the point now that if somehow... The Supreme Court ruled, well, actually, you screwed up on that slavery decision. It should be legal, or at least uh, uh, the states should be able to regulate it like this. No state would pass a, a, a pro-slavery law. Why? Because we all find it abhorrent. And the same thing, you know, not that long ago, interracial marriage was controversial. You know, the polling on this shows that at one point it was 60 and 70 percent of people who opposed it, including a large percentage of minorities. But now we're at a position where almost no one opposes it. I mean, the polls now are far less than 10%, something like 3 or 4% of people oppose it. And if the Supreme Court did what Clarence Thomas, that evil guy who absolutely hates interracial marriage despite being involved in one currently, uh, if they did overturn that case, no state would say, you know what, we're going to take that step and ban interracial marriage. It wouldn't happen because, not because of the legal aspects tied to it, but because people were persuaded that that old position was a dumb position. And now they're awakened to the fact that the new position is better. And it is. I, you know, I don't think there's, question, uh, there's a question there. I think the same thing eventually will happen with abortion. Um, but it's important to understand where we are in this process. Uh, because passing uh, a, uh, you know, or overturning a, a standard in the Supreme Court is a small part of the battle. And it reminded me of one of my favorite videos. This one comes from Reason.com. And it's on a, what I kind of think is a somewhat parallel issue. Uh, the issue of the Second Amendment. Something that obviously we, we honor and, and uh, I fight pretty hard for on this program uh, all the time. And their part was to say how ridiculous it is to think you're actually going to ban guns. And they did it this way in a sort of sarcastic fashion. How to get rid of guns in five easy steps. Watch part one. For a gun-free America, the first thing you'll need is two-thirds of Congress. So elect a minimum of 67 senators and 290 representatives who are on your side. All right, so number one is to win elections. And over time, conservatives have done that. Now, it's not a constitutional amendment, obviously. This was done through the courts, so the parallels are pretty similar, but not exact. You don't need two-thirds of Congress. In this case, you just needed to be able to get uh, over 50 for enough time to get the Supreme Court the way that you wanted it. But it was part of a long-term process, a process of, uh, even before this, 
bringing up conservative politicians that were able to win elections, uh, bringing up conservative legal scholars who could step in uh, to these judicial roles and help this go the right way. So that's step one. And we did that one. We got that already. We got the Supreme Court uh, justices in the right spot. Okay, next step. Then have them vote to propose an amendment to the Constitution, which repeals Second Amendment gun rights for all Americans. Now, what I find fascinating is you're here, right? Like you, this is the process. If you, if you equate the Second Amendment to Roe versus Wade, even though one was made up and the other one is actually written down, you understand what a heavy lift that was. It would be an incredibly heavy lift for the uh, Second Amendment to be overturned, an even heavier lift, honestly. And so it's a really, really hard thing to do. And the fact that that has been achieved is pretty freaking impressive. Here's step three. Then convince the legislators of 38 states to ratify that amendment. Congratulations, the Second Amendment is now history. At this point, you've done absolutely nothing to decrease gun violence. All you've done is remove the barrier for Congress to legally act. And that's where we are, boys and girls. We have done absolutely nothing to take any abortions out of society. All we have done is removed the legal limits to at least attempt to do that. And as you see in that last step three, we've been able to figure out some sort of state issue where we can address it at the state level. And the same thing, of course, would happen with guns. If they overturned the Second Amendment, immediately Texas would say, well, it's part of our Constitution, and a bunch of other states would as well. And so you wouldn't be able to ban it. You'd have to go farther. So here's step four. You need to enact common sense gun reform. You can try to do what Australia did and uh, ban all guns. That's that's not at all what they did, but whatever. F it, go big or go home, right? Get that law passed by Congress and signed by the president. Great. The law is passed and guns are now illegal. All right. There you go. Now that may or may not be the next step for conservatives. I think there's a big question uh, whether the federal government has the right to to legislate that type of activity, even on the pro-life side. I don't know that that would even hold up in court, a, a pro-life law that would ban abortion across the country. States obviously can do it. You could try to win every one of those states. But as, it, as you look at this and you realize what a daunting prog process it is, we're a lot farther uh, along on it than uh, the left is on the Second Amendment, which by the way, is their goal. Just like it's not my goal to get uh, abortion banned at 20 weeks, it's not the left's goal for common sense gun reform. That's not the way, that's not real. They want to do this. They would love to get rid of the Second Amendment and get rid of guns entirely. Uh, so we are here to this last step. And before we get to it, I want you to think about this from the perspective of someone fighting against the Second Amendment. Like we fight against abortion, them fighting against the Second Amendment, against guns. Right now, you've gone through a lot of stuff. You've overturned the Second Amendment. You got all these people elected. You passed it through all these states. And you're stopped here with the next step to go. And it's a little different, honestly. It's not an exact parallel when it comes to guns. And I will show you exactly how feeble the anti-gun movement is here and how ridiculous it is in a second. But with us, we're at that point where we need to say, okay, some laws will outlaw, some states will outlaw it, some states will have the most uh, wonderful, you know, Disneyland of abortions you can ever imagine. It's all gonna be out there. It's an amusement park 
for abortions. People will be able to travel. People will be able to get pills mailed to them from uh, left-wing organizations, whether it's in the United States or not. Canada has already said you can cross the border. This is the, probably the one time they'll let you cross the border without being vaccinated. You can, be, you can not get vaccinated, cross the border, and get an abortion. That's my guess, is how at least how Justin Trudeau will read it. There are organizations around the world excited to send you abortion pills in the mail. There are Indian uh, uh, online pharmacies that are producing them right now and being sent to women all over the country even before this ruling came down. So it's it's not going to be done completely by legislation. It might help a little bit. In Texas, we passed a law, uh, kind of a, a, you know, as we mentioned, the Mississippi law was really, I think, the main attraction here. But there was a Texas law that came out and banned abortion at six weeks. And because it hasn't really gone through the full uh, court challenge process and may not need to now, it's basically stayed in place. So women up to six weeks could uh, get an abortion, but after that they could not here in Texas for what, the past six months or a year. And what they found when they did a study on this was about half the abortions still occurred in Texas, uh, which is not a shocking number in that, uh, largely because most abortions do happen pretty early in the pregnancy. About half of them still occurred. They noticed an uptick of about 25% Uh, uh, in nearby states, people crossing the border to get them maybe a little bit later than six weeks. And some of these online pharmacies and organizations also noticed uh, an increase, which might account for about another 25% from pills. So this bill was passed and it may not have prevented many abortions at all, up to maximum 50%, but they think it's closer to 0%. So you have to sit here and understand that the main way you're going to get rid of abortions in this country, if that's a priority for you, is making sure you communicate to others and make the case so that they hate it as much as you. Just being barred by law is not going to be enough. Here's step five, by the way. The only thing left to do is enforce the law. Guns don't just disappear because you passed a law. You need to confiscate over 350 million guns scattered among over 330 million Americans. Sure, you can try a buyback program like Australia, but like Australia, that will still leave behind anywhere from 60 to 80% of privately owned firearms. The rest of them, you have to take. You'll need the police, the FBI, the ATF, the National Guard, all known for their nuanced approach to potentially dangerous situations, to go door to door through 3.8 million square miles of this country and take them by force from thousands, if not millions, of well-armed individuals, many of whom would rather start a civil war than acquiesce. So inevitably, gun violence, which is currently at a historic low, will skyrocket. And that's how you get rid of guns, everybody. (laughs) It's a daunting thing, and it shows how difficult this is when something gets built into the culture. Now, we have 200 years of gun culture here in this country, the Second Amendment being incredibly important to this nation. And, of course, there's some differences, right? People aren't going to shoot you with their uterus, I don't think, uh, if you go door to door. But enforcing this and trying to do it through the brute force of the law, some of that is needed, right? Like, you do need to have laws, and it should be harder for women to get abortions. But, you know, with all these other options, especially now, it's going to be persuasion that wins this battle over the very long term. Legal aspects will always be there and be necessary at some level. But the truth is, having that person 
who currently is screaming at TikTok and complaining about Clarence Thomas. They seem to compla complain about Thomas a lot more than Alito for some reason. I wonder if there's some underlying issue going on there. But the bottom line is they keep complaining about these Supreme Court justices. That person needs to hate abortion as much as you. That's how this goes away forever. That's how this is won over a long period of time. The, the people in our society who look at this as an option instead of a horror show need to be won over. Ryan T. Anderson is going to join us here in a second. He has a new book out talking about this entire process as we look at the pro-life issue in uh, still a week where we're reacting to one of the biggest days possible in the pro-life movement, 6 22 